0: Chapter six. So I cannot even explain the excitement that I had getting in my car packed to the brim where I could barely see my dogs taking up the whole entire passenger seat and we just head out west. I-40 west. I was so so excited. I think I was smiling the entire time. I felt a sense of freedom and I was honestly just really proud of myself. I put a goal out there, I put it into motion and it was coming to fruition. I did not have a hotel booked or anything. I'd actually done this drive before, and on the way back from California to Oklahoma, I actually didn't stop at all. I just drove the whole way through. So going there, I was like, oh, I think I could probably do that again. So I just took off, but there were times where we had to pull over. I had to take naps. I was getting tired more often. So it was totally fine, but that's just kind of how I do things. I just fly by the seat of my pants. So we just... Stopped every couple of hours and took a nap when we needed to, especially in the middle of the night. I remember one time we pulled into like a Denny's parking lot at 4 a.m. because I was like really, really tired. My eyes were getting super heavy. So slept in a Denny's parking lot, woke back up, didn't get a grand slam, but just drove off. So you're probably thinking, okay, well, what job did you have lined up? You haven't said what you were going out there to do. That's because I didn't know. I didn't have any opportunity or a plan moving to California, okay? I had a little bit of money and a whole lot of faith. I'm just not one of those people who has to have her ducks in a row before I make a decision. I am someone who will jump off of a cliff and I will expect a net to be down there somewhere when I get down. I will say I do go by my gut and my intuition most of the time. If something feels right, if it feels aligned, if it feels like it's going to take me down a better path, I just jump in and I really don't think about it too much because I know without a shadow of a doubt, without any hesitation, that I will be fine. I will figure it out. I always do. I always figure it out. And that is how I've lived my entire life. I have no regrets. So we pull up to San Diego. We pull up to the house. One of the girls is already there. Other girl isn't there yet. I get there. I'm just... (laughs) So excited! I don't even remember what the first thing we did was. I know we I dropped my stuff off, and then we went somewhere. I think we went maybe to explore or go get something to eat. I don't remember, but I was just so excited to be there. I loved the house that we picked. It was really close to the highway. I could get we get to a lot of places really quick. But then there's there was a little bit of a mishap. So. I obviously planned on going there with two other girls. The third girl hadn't gotten there yet. We couldn't really figure out why. She was just kind of being a little bit sketchy. She was like, yeah, I'm coming. Yeah, I'm coming. And she already had signed the lease and everything. All of our stuff was there. She just hadn't gotten there yet. And we were just kind of waiting for her to show up. It seemed like she never was going to. Long story short, she decided to back out of the lease She somehow got an attorney or a lawyer to get her out of the lease and we were going to be stuck there whether we got another roommate or we would have to foot the bill for her part, which obviously we didn't want to do and really couldn't do. Fortunately, the landlord of the house, we were actually her first tenants in that house. And she was super nice, super cool. We had to explain her the situation and she just let us out of the lease. She said, it's fine. You guys just moved in. I think I could probably get it rented again pretty quick. You know, We'd already paid the down payment for the month, but I, I want not even say she gave us the deposit back. I don't know. It was just very bizarre for that happening in California because people are not like that in California. So she must not have been from California, but she was super nice, let us out of the lease. We had to find somewhere else to live. It ended up being a blessing in disguise because we ended up moving into a very high rise in downtown San Diego, which we actually loved way more. It was a better location. It was nicer. It was just more in the scene. We could walk everywhere. It was really, really, really fun, but it was such a scramble. We had to obviously repack all of our stuff in the house, get a U-Haul, deal with all that mess. Moving is never fun, and then trying to get a lease and all that. Ended up getting in. We <laughs> we lived on the 35th floor of this building think there was only 42 floors. Needless to say, it was a little bit of a pain going up and down. We each had a dog. That was a struggle trying to take them out three times a day. When you're on the 35th floor, you pick everyone up on the way down and you drop everyone off on the way up. So each time we had to leave the apartment, it was a little bit of a hassle, I will say, but it was totally worth it. We had the most amazing view and it was just so much fun. The first couple of weeks in San Diego, I will say there was not much work involved. We played a lot. We obviously were new to the town. We wanted to explore, do all the things. We both had a little bit of money saved up, so we weren't in any hurry to run out and get jobs. So we just had so much fun we would go to la we went to vegas a couple times we did the san diego stuff did bikes on the boardwalk and we were just honestly having the best time so this is the part of my life where i do have to admit a couple things that i'm not the most proud of but it was just the circumstance at that time I am just so mentally exhausted. I was thinking that if I moved out there, I would have a whole new restart. Brain and my mind would be very clear and I would just have all the energy to go out and start pursuing things. And really, that was not the case. I really could not muster up the energy to do anything, to work on my business, to be creative, to do anything really in the health and fitness space. It's really hard. That was the first time I was in a very new place where no one knew who I was. Coming from Oklahoma, having grown up there for 27 years and people just know who you are when you've just grown up in the same city, this was like, who are you? At that time, I was like, well, I definitely need to make money now. I have more expensive rent. I have higher bills. I have never bartended in my entire life, but I had the opportunity to take this little dive bar bartending gig nothing harmful. You just wore a t-shirt and jeans or leggings, super, super chill. But I never bartended before. So I just went in there and acted like I had. And I was like, yeah, I have bartended before. This place was really like draft beer and simple cocktails. So I ended up getting a job at a dive bar. And not to say that I'm above bartending whatsoever. It was just not in my wheelhouse. I'd never done it. But I knew it was good money. And I was like, I'm just willing to do anything for some money. So I started doing that. and it was, it was fun. I did not love the late nights. That is just not my jam. I do not love late nights when you had to close the bar. You don't close till two. All the closing duties you have to do, getting home at 4 a.m. So that really, really started to mess with my sleeping, which in turn messed with my whole entire routine. And I felt like I was just getting a little bit more unhealthy and unhealthy. But I was like, well, it's quick money. I don't really have anything else right now. So i just do this while I'm trying to look for something else. That only lasted about a month. And then I had the opportunity to work at a club downtown San Diego. So I got a bottle service job. And I think I started the week of Thanksgiving. This was in November. Oh, man. <laughs> that was so draining. Going into work at 9.30, 10 p.m., also not my jam not my jam. That is my bedtime. So I would have to take a nap at 7 to seven to 8.30, I would say. I would take a nap before going into work. Obviously, when you do bottle service, that's a whole other gig than just a little dive bar. You're walking around half naked, going to these people's tables who have bought in bottles. Honestly, I thought it was going to be more money. So I actually quit the other bartending gig to work here because I was like, well, duh, bottle service, you're going to make way more money. So I quit that to transfer over here. I think I worked two or three times a week. It wasn't actually that great of money, but they did say it was the slow season The winter is the slow season, whatever, I'll wait it out. I worked New Year's Eve there. It was okay money. It was not the kind of money I was expecting. Like I was thinking like Vegas or downtown LA or, you know, I just thought I would be rolling in the dough, but that is not how it was. I don't know what it was, if it was that time of year or whatever, but everyone was just complaining about how slow it had been and people weren't tipping as well. That was also even more draining than the other job walking around in heels all night, barely wearing any clothes. Again, I was still trying to figure out my place in this new city. I was willing to do anything, meet anyone, make connections. But again, this was also another very draining job. Late nights and off my routine, off my sleep schedule, I'd wake up super late. I wouldn't get to the gym. I wouldn't have energy. I wouldn't eat right. So this is when my physical self started to really take a turn. January 2018 rolls around and I have some friends in LA. A couple of people were in town and we ended up meeting up. This weekend was the weekend that I met my now ex-boyfriend, who, if you have not listened to season one of It Doesn't End Here, I explain this whole story in detail of this relationship, which ended up being very toxic, very emotionally abusive, very draining. A lot of my stress and a lot of my trauma came from to this very day that I'm still working through. I was clearly in a very low lost place when I met this person. I was doing bottle service, you guys. I've never even bartended. I've always been into health and fitness, always had a day job for one. I was just very lost, very, very lost. And I meet this person and he seems to have all the answers that I'm looking for as far as who he can connect me with in the fitness space. He was in the fitness space, had been a little bit well-known. I was like, okay, well, this guy's cool. He's saying he knows this person. He's saying he's doing this right now. And so we just kind of started a friendship at first. which then turned romantic, driving back and forth to LA to hang out with him, stay with him. while I was still doing my bottle service job. It still wasn't making good money. So I was like, okay, I really can't do this anymore. It's really not even doing that well. I'm exhausted. What else can I do? Another opportunity came up for a club job that I was maybe going to take. I even went and talked to the owner about potentially coming on. It was looking like as though I might be able to do that. And I was hearing about all the money they were making there. So I was like, okay, I'll just switch over. I go into this club one night just to like show face, just to be like, Hey, I'm cool. I'm, I'm going to come in here. I have a drink. That one drink ended up turning into meeting this guy and he was feeding me shots all night. And I got so drunk. One of the most drunk times I've ever been. He ended up taking me home. We drove through a drive through and I got food somehow, but somehow I didn't manage to get up all the way to the 35th floor of my apartment. I was throwing up in the, Bathtub. I was so sick. I was calling my boyfriend at the time. You know, I just met about a month earlier, and he was older and he had like big goals and big dreams. He just flat out said, Listen, I can't be with someone like you. He said, This is not what I'm looking for. I have my priorities, I have my morals. And if you're going to be working at clubs, and if you're going to be going out and getting drunk, he was like, I'm sorry, but this isn't going to work. Well, for whatever reason, that moment, that instant made me snap and back into place. That next day when I was super hungover, the most hungover I've ever been, I think, I just decided, I said, okay, I'm done with that. I'm done with that life. I only did it for two months and I'm already not going down a good path. So I have to nip this in the bud. I started immediately making some marketing and promotional stuff to say that I was going to start personal training. I said, okay, I'm going to go back to what I was doing. I'm going to go back to health and fitness. I'm just going to put it out there. I'm going to try to get clients. From that day when he told me or threatened to break up with me because of that, I just knew that that was not for me and the path that I didn't really want to go down deep inside. I found a gym to train at. I started promoting my services on social media. And I think within a week or two, I had maybe had five clients. I got clients very quickly. So from that day forward, that's all I did. I, I came up with creative ways to do my online stuff. I was selling some programs. I was having some clients at the gym and I really just, I got back to what I wanted to do anyway. Still at this time in my life, i had not dealt with my trauma i had not dealt with my past i had not dealt with me and you cannot escape these things. Being in a different city in a different state does not make that stuff go away. So I will put the plug in here for the It Doesn't End Here podcast to definitely go and listen to that because I go into way more detail about this relationship that I got into at a very vulnerable time in my life. I'm a codependent person, and I got trapped into a narcissistic relationship, which is a codependent's dream. When you get love-bombed by a narcissist, you just think that they're the best person ever, and they're the one and and he's your saving grace. He is the white knight on a horse. I very quickly, being such in a low place mentally, I just let him run my life. Before I made any decision, I would ask him his opinion on what I should do. And it wasn't like he was forcing me to, but I just was like, I have no control over my mind. I need someone else. I need someone else. You guys, at this point, I was not independent. I was very codependent. Please, someone just tell me what to do and I will do it. So we started getting more serious and I was traveling, like I said, back and forth to LA and he had a business that he had just started. Him, and I think people like him with his personality type. They're very goal oriented. They have big dreams. They want to be successful more than anything in the world. Me being so naive and young and vulnerable and trauma bonded with this person, I just fell into his life. I just was like, yep, I'm going to do that with you. My dreams and goals do not matter anymore. I don't want to try. I have no energy. I can't do anything on my own. So you're going to do that? Sure. I'm going to support you count me in on this. By me being so emotionally immature, and like I said, naive and vulnerable and all the things, honestly, that you should not even be starting a relationship out on, this would start a two and a half year relationship of me completely losing myself. This time in my life and this relationship was one of the hardest things I've ever done in my entire life. I've never been so stressed. I've never been so depressed. I've never felt so isolated. I moved in with him in June of 2018 18 six months after meeting him because honestly I just didn't want to do anything and he was quote unquote taking care of me although we were broke as hell I mean he started this company and he had to really put a lot of energy and effort into it and I wanted to be there for him but I also didn't have any energy and I didn't put any effort into anything hardly so the money honestly was just Barely getting us by. I don't even remember how the money was coming in. I was doing a little bit of online stuff. He had some little odd end job he was doing. We moved in together in a shithole on the beach. And looking back, I hate that I let this happen for one. But his thing was always, "I'm glad we're struggling together. I'm so glad you went through the struggle with me." And it's like, listen. Life doesn't have to be a fucking struggle. I'm so mad that I like let him imprint that into my brain because he imprinted that into my brain for two and a half years, that we're struggling, but we're like, I love that we're going through the struggle. And you don't have to make life a freaking struggle. And I'm just now learning that, that life doesn't have to be a struggle. And for two and a half years, that's what my life was. A fucking struggle. Completely giving up my identity and who I was and all my dreams and goals. I did still kind of hold on to my dreams and goals, but He had a lot of say in that as well. There were things he didn't want me to do. There were people he didn't want me to photo shoot with. There were places that he wanted to take me to and pick me back up. And it's like, he never really trusted me. He always said that he wanted me to pursue these things. He was like, I'm going to help you do whatever you want. We're going to do this. You're going to do that. But also I felt like he didn't want me to at the same time. it's like He wanted to have his hold on me, a a little bit of a grip on me and not let me get too successful because that would have meant that I would have had to leave him or I would have surpassed him or I would have experienced certain things that would make me realize that I didn't need him or I didn't want him. And so we always kind of kept me like in this little box of, yes, we're going to do this for you, but it's going to be my way going to be my way or not any way at all because I'm taking care of you. I've taken you on. I've taken you under my wing, so to speak. And you're kind of pretty much in my control. Meanwhile, he was starting this business and from the ground up and it was supposed to be an enterprise. And like I said, lots and lots of struggle because he didn't want to have a full-time job. He thought he was too good for anything. He wouldn't accept certain jobs because he's like, I'm too big for that. But you know what? We needed to do what we needed to do. And so he would have just rather borrowed money from friends and family, barely getting by. There were several, 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 several times where we just didn't have any money. Like there would be times where I wanted to go get food and we had food in the fridge, but I was like, I just really want like a pizza. And we just couldn't even, we didn't have money for it. I even remember scraping up change one day to go get butter because we had all the ingredients to make cookies, but we didn't have butter. And we also didn't have money. And so we grounded up change from inside the house and was able to go get butter. That's how my life was for about a year and a half until investments started coming in, finally getting money into the business. It seemed to be going really well. We were able to move into a nice house. We had money. We weren't struggling as much, but it also wasn't a guarantee either. And so this money was not guaranteed to keep this going. You know, when you get investments, you have to put it back into the business and then try to keep it going and grow it. Well, for about two years, it just never quite got off the ground, even though it seemed as though it was going to be so promising, it never got off the ground. But like I said, I don't want to get too much into this because I did share this entire story on It Doesn't End Your podcast, which you can go listen to, and that will give you a lot more detail as to what I went through. But I will say this. As much pain and struggle, he loved to use that word, fear and anxiety that there was in that relationship and during that time in my life, he also did, and I will give him this, he also opened my eyes to all of the emotional issues and the trauma that I needed to work through. Being so far apart in age, he would pinpoint things that I needed to work on or how I was acting. And for a long time, I I just denied it. And I was like, I get offended when he would call things out about me. But then I really started to realize, okay, maybe I don't act great all the time. Maybe I do lash out. Maybe I don't like confrontation. Maybe I would rather blow up a, a conversation out of being defensive and not deal with it head on like a adult. And this was the way that I grew up. Families have a lot going on. When I was younger, the only time my parents wanted to sit me down and have a serious conversation was when I was getting in trouble. When they wanted to ground me, when I did something bad, this is when they were like, Kayla, can we have a talk? Kayla, we need to talk. We never sat down for serious conversations in a positive way. Nothing about share your feelings with me. How are you feeling? Why are you feeling like this? Why are you acting like this? What is making you do this? It was always, if I did something bad, I got sat down, I had a a talk and then I got grounded. And so this played out all throughout my adult life, whereas I hated confrontation because all it would do was remind me that if someone wants to talk to me, I'm in trouble. If someone wants to talk to me, I have done something bad. I hated confrontation. I would cry every time. Someone just wanted to have a conversation with me in a a slightly more serious way. So that was one of the things that really bothered him because he was a great communicator. He loved to communicate. He loved to work things out in real time. And what I would do was I would avoid and then I would blow up and then I would not want to talk about it just like my mom would do. I wouldn't want to confront it. I would just want to let time pass. So this is one of the things he definitely pointed out in me He also definitely pointed out all the trauma with my mom that I needed to work on. That was a constant topic of conversation going on, constant. And I just denied it. I was like, no, I'm fine. It's fine. It happened. It's life. I moved on. I'm out here now. I don't need to work on anything. So I will give him that through all the struggle and worry and fear and anxiety he put me through because of my lack of ability to make my own decisions and be independent. Instead, I was very codependent on him. He did push me to work on myself. He did push me to go to therapy. He did push me to do the emotional work, which I will forever be grateful for because I don't know if I would have ever done it myself. And I look back and think of California and that whole experience. And I think that I was meant to go out there to California to have that experience, to be shown what I needed to work on. I hardly doubt I would have done that in Oklahoma. I can think of no one who would have pushed me to do something like that. Even still to this day, I really don't know what would have happened to me if I hadn't gone to California, even though I didn't end up there and I went through a horrible experience. It actually feels like that was meant to happen to me, that I was meant to be there, meet that person. He changed my life for the good and the bad, but I can now look back and say, I forgive that time. I forgive myself for not knowing any better, but once I knew better, you better can believe I did better. So how did I end up in jail? You might ask. When you are under that much stress, financial stress especially, it will bring out the worst in you, the worst in the other person. Honestly, we were just trying to get through the day, through the weeks, through the months, and build this business. And it's freaking hard to build a business from scratch with so many people involved, so many intricate details. Our relationship essentially just became the business. And when the business wasn't doing good, our relationship wasn't doing good. When the business was doing fine, we were fine. But there were so many moments moments. There was so much pain. We were broke so many times. I didn't know what he was doing to me. He just needed some supply of some sort to get him to where he wanted to be and to get him to his goals. And I was that supply for him. January of 2020, we had already not been doing well. We had almost broken up several times. He said, you can move out. I will pay for your place to stay and I will keep paying for your therapy. Essentially, he was saying I will still take care of you, but this is getting too bad for us to be together in the same house. We just weren't doing well. We were fighting all the time. At the time, he didn't even have a way to pay for all that because we had no money, but that was constantly his thing. He would constantly promise things, thinking it would happen, and it, 90% of the time did not happen. So, I could never move out because he's like, "Okay, yeah, you're going to move out, and I'll continue to pay and help you out," but I never could because he didn't have any money. So, we were already very much on the One night we went out to dinner and I sit down and he goes to get us drinks at the bar and I open my phone to a DM on Instagram from a guy friend that I have. And it's a screenshot of an email and I'm looking at this picture and it's an email from my boyfriend at the time to his girlfriend. So there's four of us involved, me and him, my friend and his girlfriend. My boyfriend is emailing her saying, missing you. That is what the email said. I am in complete shock. All I can do is he comes and sits back down. I just show him the phone and I say, What is this? And you could just tell he was caught. He had that look on his face like, Oh shit, I didn't get away with it. We didn't drink our drinks. I said, What is this? And he's just like, I can explain. I can explain. And we ended up leaving the restaurant. We left our drinks on the table. We were walking to the car. I'm still questioning him. He is stalling so bad because I said, okay, I want to see your phone. But he insisted on driving home first. But he was walking super slow, driving super slow. I said, I'm not letting you out of my sight. So don't even think about it. I want to see your phone when we get home. Again, takes a sweet time. We go upstairs. He's like, makes a drink. You could tell he was stalling. So he gets out his phone. All the text messages have been deleted. There was one text from that same day that they were clearly having conversation, So he was clearly deleting the messages beforehand. All of the emails were deleted. He didn't even have that email he sent her because clearly they were deleted. And also he refused to show me his Instagram messages. So apparently he had not... Deleted the Instagram messages because he refused to show me the Instagram. For about 10, 20 minutes, I said, Show me your Instagram. And he said, No, I'm not showing you. And I said, Okay, then we are done here. I don't know what's going on, but you're essentially caught cheating on me and you will not let me see your phone. So this is clearly trust has been broken immediately. Another part about this situation was that he had business and business partners in the same city that she lived in. He had gone there multiple times in the last couple months. I never really thought anything of it. I didn't even know they were talking. So I just always, I'm not a very jealous girlfriend that has to know every Every single place my boyfriend goes, but I just, it was never a thought in my mind that he could ever be cheating on me. He refused to show me the Instagram. So I just immediately go downstairs and I start packing my shit. I'm talking, I'm packing up my bathroom toiletries. I have all the tubs out from the storage. I'm packing all of my clothes. I am packing every single thing. He comes back in and I say, Show me your Instagram. And he said, Oh, I deleted it. I deleted the messages. Of course you did. His excuse was, I deleted them because I didn't want you to see what I was saying about you. You know, we have had hard times lately. And she was helping me with our relationship. Of course, this is complete bullshit. I didn't believe it for one second. So I'm still packing my stuff. I call my granny. I tell her I'm hysterically crying. I'm like, I'm coming out there. I call my friend who lives down the street and I say, Can I stay with you tonight? She says, Yes, of course. I'm hysterical. I'm crying. I'm emotionally breaking down yet again because this has just been the hardest two years of my life. And I felt like I gave. Up everything for this person, and this is how I was getting treated. So, that was really what was going through my mind is like, how the fuck can you do this to me after everything that I have put up with, after all the ways I've supported you, after giving up everything that I wanted to work on for you, and this is how I'm getting treated? So, I leave the house, I go walk down to my friend's house. I didn't say it right away, but she was like, Well, do you what's going on? Do you want to talk? And so, I kind of just laid everything out. I'm just telling her what happened. I'm texting my therapist what has happened because I've been working with her at this point for about eight months and she knows me. She knows my ex. She knows how he is. And I'm just, I'm just needing any sort of advice to calm me down at this point. The guy that sent me the message starts messaging me and he is trying to play FBI. And so I am obviously helping him being like, okay, well let's figure this out. Cause he actually didn't live in the same city as her at the time. They were long distance. And so he's trying to ask me questions of like, did you know anything or anything like that? And I was like, no, I Literally, this is the first time I'm hearing of this. And then we start playing FBI because I'm like, well, I know that he's gone to that city. So we are going through our text messages and he's like, when is some dates that he has been there? So I was like, well, he was there December 7th through the 10th. He goes... Oh my gosh, that same weekend, she was being super sketchy with me and even said on one night that she got too drunk and fell asleep and she didn't answer her phone, didn't say good night. So I go back to my text messages on my boyfriend and I's thread the exact same night. He gave me the same excuse. The next morning he had said, I fell asleep early. We were drinking and I got pretty drunk and I fell asleep. I mean, we're both not fucking stupid, so we clearly figure out that they had probably met up at least once, if not more than that. This is when I just get freaking furious. I get so angry. My friend falls asleep. Rachel calls me from London cuz I'm like texting her all of this and I'm like call me as soon as you wake up. She's 8 hours ahead. So she was able to call me pretty early when she woke up and I'm pouring my heart out telling her what's going on. So I'm talking to my friend, I'm talking to my therapist, I'm talking to Rachel, I'm talking to this guy who's honestly just making me more mad and I really should have just left it alone. I should have just had that space for that night to calm down, let it all simmer and deal with it the next day. But at the time that is not how I dealt with things. I was still very much in my defensive mode, attack mode, confrontation mode, and I couldn't handle my emotions or my feelings at the time whatsoever. So I go from furious to complete anger. My friend's asleep. I don't think I can go to sleep at her house because I'm just so angry. So what do I do? I leave her house and I walk back to our house. It's about 2 a.m. at this point on a Thursday night. So, really, it's an early Friday morning. I walk back. He locked the door to where I can't get in. My key's not working. So, I have to bang on the door and have him let me back in. He lets me back in, and I am not having it. And I just start grilling him, like, You're going to tell me right now that you met up with her. Like, I figured it out. You can't lie. You both said the same thing on the same night. You were in the same city. Like, that's not a coincidence. He refused, refused to this day that he ever met up with her. And I just wasn't having that answer. I wanted him to admit to my face what he did. I demanded that he did, and he would not. This is when I got very, very angry. I started to push him, shove him, hit him, and he he told me to stop. And I was like, you're going to tell me right now that you did this, and he wouldn't. Well, a physical altercation ensued. I remember him shoving me into the hall where I had dragged all my storage tubs and I fell into one of the storage tubs because there wasn't a lid on it. I hit the wall and the picture frame went to the side. It was all crooked. It went into the other room. I mean, just yelling, screaming, biting, hitting. We went into the other room and he was on top of me and I had grabbing his shirt, like pulling it, stretching it out, ripping it. And I don't know how long this went on. It felt like it was 10 minutes that this had gone on. I get my phone and I say, I'm calling the police. And I say, if you don't tell me right now, if you don't admit right now what you did, I'm calling the police. And I was just shaking, angry, so much panic and anxiety going on through my body. And he still refused. So I called 911 and I said, I need the police here. A physical altercation just happened between me and my boyfriend. So they're asking me questions. And while they're still asking me questions, I just see cop car lights outside the front. So I hang up, I just go out, and I start to tell them what happened. So they make us immediately separate. I stay outside with my dog. My dog's freaking out. He's so scared. So he's with me. My boyfriend's inside the house and they're just questioning us of what happened. I don't know why, but I was just like, I need to be super calm because I don't want this to be super ugly. And I just thought if I'm super calm, they won't think I'm like hysterical. I don't even know what I was thinking. Honestly. I just remember being like, do not break down. Do not cry. Keep it together. Tell him what happened and they were looking at my body look at my neck thought my neck would be super red Probably just so disassociated from myself yet again in this situation and they're talking to him Inside, obviously, this probably lasts for about 20, 30 minutes, just kind of coming back in, questioning me, looking at my body. I still had my dog with me. And all of a sudden, they come back out and say, Okay, let's take your dog inside and let's go talk over here. So I was like, Okay. I walk over, I open the door to let my dog inside. As soon as I close the door, they twist me around, put my hands behind my back, and they put me under arrest. And I was like, What? I was in shock. I had just called the police to come help me. And yet I'm the one getting arrested. So at that immediate moment, I thought, what the hell did he tell them? What did he do? Did he do something to himself to make it look like worse than what it really was? I was in complete shock, complete shock that I was getting arrested that night. I got in the back of the cop car. I was just like, why am I getting arrested? And they wouldn't tell me. They said they would let me know when I got to jail, when I got booked in, what I was being charged with. That was just a low point in my life. Obviously, I get into the jail. I'm like the only one in there. There's one other person in there for like public detox. I have to take off all of my clothes, my earrings, everything I had on, put it in a little bag, put on this hideous yellow color suit, a shirt and pants, they have to take my picture. I look like shit. My eyes are all black. Just it's just been a horrible night. They tell me that my bail was $50,000. When they said $50,000, I immediately broke down. I said $50,000. And I was hysterical, breaking down. Then they went on to tell me, if you pay the 10%, you can get out on bond. So I was like, okay, 5,000, that sounds way better than 50,000. And then they book me in. There's a payphone in the cell. I just start freaking calling people. I call my ex and I tell him how much of a shithead he is somehow my family starts knowing what's going on and they're calling all the other families. So my whole entire family knows what's happening. And I just, I think I called my ex like five times. I was like, this is your fault. You need to get me out of here. And he refused. He said, you put yourself in that situation. I'm not bailing you out. You can stay in there all weekend. I don't care. Since this happened on a late Thursday night, technically a Friday, it was technically the weekend. So I was going to have to stay in there all weekend unless I got bailed out for $5,000